Hello, this is the brief for the prayer there written by Ron Kincaid. The thrust of this book is that he really wants to encourage us to pray, to really do it. You have to remember that prayer is absolutely key for the child of God because it's the way God has set things up for us to be able to communicate with him. Now, there are actually many things that you can do to make your prayer life more effective. And Kincaid shows you that over 40 days where he gives you several different techniques, a prayer there, an example of that technique and a scripture that you can use to become more effective in your prayers. A thing to keep in mind is the reason prayer works so well for the believer is that it's because it really involves God in it. It's God that's answering the prayers and God has all power. And Jesus, who is our model of how we are to live, showed us by his example that we need to pray. That was the one thing his disciples asked him how to do. It was the thing that he did before going to battle Satan in the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days and prayed. He frequently prayed all night. Indeed, he did before going out um, to select who his 12 disciples would be. And so prayer was central to Jesus' walk, his ministry, and it's central to ours. Prayer there. Brief one. Ask and keep on asking the Father. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, is what James told us. Pastors on average pray 10 minutes a day, according to Kincaid. The first key to successful prayer is to do it and to make time for it. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Yet many of us don't pray because we are too busy. Those who do it regularly will find every hour invested in prayer more than praise for itself. The best example of the need for prayer and the greatest expert is Jesus. Prayer was more important to him than sleep, food, celebration, and large crowds. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, according to Luke. Remember, you are speaking to your heavenly father. This is to remind you that God seeks to provide good things to you, as would even an earthly father. But the difference is that God possesses all power. So there isn't anything you can't ask him for. David said, God has spoken once. Twice I have heard it, that power belongs to God in Psalm 62. Keep in mind that God only gives gifts, good gifts to you. In Psalm 84, 11, David writes, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This suggests that sometimes he may withhold something you've been praying for because it's not good. Just understand that and acknowledge it in your prayers while releasing whatever it was you were asking for so that God can give you something better. In Matthew 5 and with the parable of the woman who bothered the judge, the word emphasizes that we should continue praying. Practically, keep on praying until God answers. The answer could be yes, no, or wait, but we are expected to persist. George Muller, who was famous for asking no one for the needs of his orphanage, but receiving everything needed through prayer, prayed every day for 52 years for two men who were sons of a friend of his that they might be saved. 
One of these men became a believer at his funeral, and the other came to Christ many years later. The point is we need to persist in our prayers because God may answer even after we come home to be, go home to be with him. J.D. Frazier, a missionary who went to China to reach an unreached group called the Lisus, quickly came to realize the area was so vast he would need to divide it in two. He decided he would spend the morning from sunrise to noon praying from the Lisus in the south and the afternoon from noon to sundown evangelizing the Lisus in the north. Eventually, he brought a couple of hundred people in the north to the Lord. God eventually caused him to link up with one of the southern Lisus for a brief time, and he tutored that man on Christianity. And he continued in prayer for the southern Lisus. He found thousands of Lisus in the south became believers. His prayers had been more effective than his evangelizing efforts. Prayer there. Brief two. Praying brings power to prayer. In Philippians 1 and 19, Paul tells us, For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What's the point? The point is that Paul was dependent on both the Holy Spirit and the prayers of the saints for his deliverance. He considered both of them to be equally important to his deliverance. This tells us something about the power of prayer. Now, I'll share with you a story, a true story. A friend of mine, when he was five years old, fell five stories onto a concrete sidewalk. Now, you would expect, of course, that he would die from this fall as a five-year-old. However, he had not a scratch on him. And the reason for this is I believe his mother was praying for him as he fell. And I believe the angels caught him as a result of that. Now, we, are, we know that prayer can move mountains. In Mark, we're told that you can say unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And if we ask it in faith or pray it in faith, you know, then it will be done for us. Joshua had had a lot of success when he had gone into the promised land. And so his enemies were quite scared of him. And in fact, they formed a five king alliance to ensure they would get victory. But Joshua was a man who followed God's will and he was a praying man. And so when he got into this battle with these five armies, consolidated armies, what he did was he called on the Lord and prayed. And the Lord heard his cry. And it says, and the Lord did something that he's never done before or since for a man. He stopped the sun, the earth's rotation around the sun for a full day so that he could have enough time to defeat his enemies. And, you know, it says that the hailstones that God rained down killed more of the enemy than Joshua's own men did. And this was all in response to prayer. Now, the other thing that you want to add to your prayers is praise. In fact, you should start it off with praise. Because praise puts your focus on God and on God's power. And praise changes the atmosphere. Because it changes your depression to expectation. Because now you're looking at the God who you know can do all things. 
Now, let me give you an example of how we can praise. Hannah prayed after she gave Samuel, uh, after she'd had Samuel having been barren, and she was taking him to Eli, the high priest, to serve with him because she said she would dedicate this child to the Lord. And so as she as she uh, actually acted on her promise, she prayed. And this is what she said. And I'm just giving you a little bit of it. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And that's the power of praise and the power of prayer combined. Make sure when you pray that you begin with prayer. Prayer there. Brief three. Come clean. Pray God's promises and pray with others. In Psalm 66, the psalmist wrote, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. First we praise, then we confess when we're praying. We forgive anyone we have, that we have grudges against or anyone who sinned against us. Now, I'll give you an example of this one in action. There was about to be a shutdown of the McGraw-Edison Company in a town in Ohio. But 400 people were called together to pray. And they prayed because this would have a devastating impact on the town if this plant were to shut down. Now, at this point, Union and the management team, they were at loggerheads. And they hadn't agreed, and it looked like the shutdown was inevitable. But a guy by the name of Wayne Anderson, who was a... part of a group, sort of a third-party group, uh, after that prayer session with the 400 people, called senior management and labor leadership, he called them to come and pray together, to pray one for another. And after that, what happened was a deal was reached. Now, there was salary cut and some benefits cuts, but not to the degree that there was before. And labor changed their mind on it, and the plant was able to stay open. Jesus said this. He said, I I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you in Matthew 18 and 19. So he's letting you know there's power and praying with others. And it's in the Old Testament too. Moses wrote, how could one man chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless the rocket sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? In Deuteronomy 32 and 30. So now, where do we see this principle in operation? And why do we see it in operation? We see it in operation because God loves agreement. And what you see here is a multiplication times 10. 
So while one puts the flight a thousand, two don't don't put the flight two thousand, but rather ten thousand. So it's exponential. So God is telling us that we need each other and that we need to pray together. So the takeaway from this one: one, come clean, confess your sins, and forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against. Second, pray with others. Because your power will be multiplied. Brief four. Pray God's word passionately, in line with his will, and be specific. James wrote, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we see Nehemiah, who prayed God's promises back to him. He said, He reminded God that he had told Moses, if you disobey me, I will scatter you. But after you are scattered, if you return to me, I will restore you again to Jerusalem. So he reminded God of his promise. And Moses reminded God of his promise. When God was going to wipe out all of the Israelites, he reminded them that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That Abraham, that his descendants would be like the stars. And basically said, Lord, how can you keep that promise if you wipe them out? And so the point is, praying God's word back to him is something that he loves and something that's very powerful in your prayers. And so remember what some of God's promises are. He said in Matthew, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. He gave authority over evil to his disciples, as he saw when he sent the 70 out and they came back rejoicing that even the demons submitted to them in Luke. He's promised us that there is no temptation that has taken us, but such that is common to man and that he will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. So that there's a way of escape when we're tempted, when we're tried, tested. He's promised that, he said, the child that obeys their parents, he said that they would be blessed and that their life would be long on the earth. He promised to meet our needs according to his riches and glory. He told James that if you lack wisdom, ask for it. So he'll give wisdom when we need it. He also told James And if we submit to God, resist the devil, then he will flee from us. So there's a lot of promises in the word and pray God's promises back to him. Now, another thing is to align our will with his will. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And John goes on to say that. And if he hears us, then we know we have whatever it is that we ask for. There was a deacon at my church who'd had a stroke about three years prior to this, and he would get dizzy and would kind of walk in circles unless he had a cane, and also had weakness on one side of his body as a result of the stroke. But the Lord uh, impelled me to anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith over him. And you know what? That same day, 
He said he felt the power of the Holy Spirit come upon him. And that afternoon, he, he didn't need his cane from that point forward for the next three years that he lived. He eventually died of COVID, but while he lived, he was able to walk without a cane. But that was a thing where I knew I was aligned with God's will on that particular occasion. And that's a prayer you can pray when you know that. Now, the Lord has promised us that he will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. So this means that sometimes when we pray, we may not get what we ask for. But that's because God's got something better for us. Another thing to practice that Kincaid points out is that we should be specific in our prayers. And why should we be specific? Well, for one thing, it enables us to see that God is answering us. It's another way that God speaks. It also acts as a witness to others that God moved in a situation. And it glorifies God. Kincaid speaks of having his son, his young son, pray for a wetsuit. And then they didn't have the money to provide him one so he could learn to water ski. They go on vacation to this place where they can water ski, but it's too cold for him to do it without wetsuits. And lo and behold, what's in the closet but a wetsuit that's the exact size that fits his son. Asking around, he finds nobody else has any idea of how it got there. And everyone believes that God provided it. Well, he prayed specifically for that wetsuit in front of others. And so God got a lot of glory out of it. What do you need? God stands ready to answer. But pray fervently, passionately. Align your will with God's will. Pray his promises back to him. And pray specifically. Prayer. Dare. Brief thought. Fast, work, and pray. Fight evil and follow the prompts of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus told us that this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting in the book of Matthew. And Paul told us that the flesh and the spirit, that they are war one with another. And he gave us more insights to the battle between good and evil when he told us we're not really wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So he tells us that it's a spiritual battle against good versus evil. And I can tell you that fasting is a thing that helps us to gain supremacy over the flesh. So it helps us to have the spirit express itself more is the way that I would phrase it. Um, And for this reason, fasting is good. It also signals our intention that we are serious about our praying. Jesus practiced it. He fasted for 40 days before he took on Satan and the temptation. Um, All of the disciples fasted when Jesus left after Jesus was crucified. And Paul and Peter and all the other disciples fasted as well. In fact, Paul had an involuntary fast of three days when he didn't eat or drink after he was knocked off his high horse, literally when he first came to know Christ. So fasting is an important part that gives us more spiritual power when we pray. 
Now, another thing to know is that, you know, evil spirits could cause illnesses as well. You may remember the little boy who had epilepsy, um, who Jesus healed, cast it, he delivered, we should say. He cast that spirit of epilepsy out of him. And uh, in a real life example, there was a young lady who had lupus. And she had gotten to the point where she was a college student, had been an athlete, college basketball player, and she could barely walk. Um, and however, this one happened to be caused by a demonic spirit. And so we cast it out. And uh, it was quite a thing to see the way that she read the, the way that she read around on the floor as she was delivered. But the Lord did deliver her and she was able to live a normal life following that because evil is real and we do battle against it as believers. Um, But it's not enough to fast and pray. We have to also work. And Paul said to the Philippians, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So in other words, God is working and we work as well. You may remember that when Nehemiah went to repair the wall, rebuild the wall, he had the people to work and they would pray. They would have a sword in one hand to be able to fight the enemy. And then they would have their building tools in the other hand. So they were building and they were and they were ready to fight at the same time. And similarly, we have to build and be ready to work and be ready to fight through prayer at all times. Follow the prompts of the Holy Spirit. That's the last thing that I would say Kincaid speaks about in this last part of the book. And the verse that I would give you is, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us, as Paul wrote in his book to the Romans, Romans 8, 26. So what that's letting us know is that the Holy Spirit does give us prompts. He does help us even to know what to pray. And so I'll give you an example. I was having my normal morning prayer, and I, I felt the impression to pray that God would give me someone who needed to know him that day, the opportunity to bring someone to Christ. And I was driving with my girls to take them swimming that morning. And there was a young man stranded on the side of the road, but he was in the lane, the left lane of a, a two lane highway. Well, it's kind of four lanes, two lanes each way. Uh, and he was in the left lane, which is where you don't want to be in Dallas because people will hit you and keep going. And so the first thing I did was got him over to the, the median but, and, and made sure he was taken care of, his car was taken care of and all that. But then we got to his physical, his spiritual state. And um, it turned out he needed to, to know more about the Lord. He needed to really know what it took to get saved. We took him through that, gave him a Bible, gave him our phone number to text us. And we keep in touch with him to this day. He's really growing in Christ. He's doing well now in college. Uh, doing well, a very young, a 19-year-old. Um, you know, who was on the wrong road, literally and physically. But by following the prompts of the Holy Spirit, the Lord gave us a role in helping him to get on the right road. And God will give you prompts through the Holy Spirit as well. 
So pray, work fast, and follow the prompts of the Holy Spirit. Prayer there. Final summary. So if I were to pick a verse that I said summarize this book more than any other, it would be James, where he said, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But in order for you to see that, you have to actually do it. And that's the first thing I would say. Do it. Pray. And do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, we don't really know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit is there to assist us in everything in life. And he specifically calls out prayer as being something that the Holy Spirit is there to help you do. The second thing, use your posture to help you pray. Stand or kneel or lie on your face. But do whatever it is that you need to do to signal to your body that you're ready to pray. The third thing I would say is mix prayer by yourself with group prayer where everyone is aligned because there is power. Jesus said this. He said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And he said, and whatsoever two or more agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done for them by my father in heaven. So pray by yourself and pray with others as well. And keep in mind who you're praying to. You're praying to your, your perfect father, as the fourth tip, I would say. And remember, he only wants to do what's good for you. So remember that as you pray. The fifth thing, persist in prayer until God answers. He will answer either yes, no, or wait. Remember when Paul asked, and then he asked again until God told him that he wasn't going to remove the thorn in the flesh, but rather that his grace was sufficient for Paul. And we are the better for it because now we know that when we are weak, God is strong. The sixth thing I would say is confess any sins that you have. Keep a clear ledger between you and God to get your prayers answered. Seventh, remember the function of praise. Praise and corporate praise are important elements in your prayer life. Recall David and how he praised God even in the middle of his most trying circumstances. In Psalms 34, he tells us to magnify the Lord with him. And he tells us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And while he was telling us these things, he was on the run from Saul who was seeking to kill him. But praise changes things. And remember to do it. Thank you for listening. May God bless and keep you. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at ChristianBrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and hope you check out some of the other briefs at christianbrief.com.